I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're discussing the 1941 movie The Lady Eve, in which <laughs> after returning from a year in the Amazon studying snakes, the rich but unsophisticated Charles Pike meets con artist Jean Harrington on an ocean liner. She prevents her father from fleecing him and they fall in love, but when he learns of her true background, they split on bad terms. To get back at him, Jean disguises herself as an English lady, uh-huh. Eve Sidwich, and comes back to tease and torment him at his Connecticut home. None of this makes any sense, <laughs> but lots of falling down and bafflement ensues, and in the end, they acknowledge that, quote, she's the same dame. That's, um, That's the most succinct summary yeah. I could come up with for this movie. Yeah, I would say uh, disguises herself as loose. <laughs> There's not much That's disguising true. going on. <laughs> Takes on another identity. Um, I don't know. But doesn't actually have an English accent or like change anything about her behavior. I don't know. Yeah, that the whole thing... I mean, that's like we could save this for the discussion, but none <laughs> yeah. of it makes any sense at all. And I honestly had to like look up multiple plot summaries to be like, is this really what they were trying to do? <laughs> I do have a little bit of trivia. Oh, good about I'm this so glad. movie. <laughs> um, the book that Charles is reading during his first dinner aboard the ship is titled "Are Snakes Necessary." <laughs> Is the answer is yes? A, <laughs> that was like one of the only things that made me laugh in this movie. <laughs> um, and that's a spoof of the book "Is Sex Necessary?" by James Thurber and E. B. White. Oh, um, which I thought was was funny. I just thought it was just like a funny little gag. Yeah, <laughs> it made me laugh anyway. Um, The Hayes office initially rejected the script for the movie because of, quote, the definite suggestion of a sex affair between your two leads that lacked compensating moral values. Um, So they had to revise the script heavily before it was approved. (laughs) Which I'm not surprised by because... Yeah. Even what actually passed um, was a lot more suggestive. The... The whole snake thing all together, and then the spending time in each other's rooms, and like the weird head stroking. I was gonna say the head stroking. Yeah, it's not really suggestive. Um, that was just yeah. <laughs> so Fonda's character refers to Professor Marsdit when he's in the Amazon, and his last name is actually an anagram of Raymond L. Ditmars of the American Museum of Natural History who was, at the time, a well-known reptile expert and popular science writer. Which is not something I would have ever picked up on. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) The scene in which Eve agrees to divorce Charles only if he tells her to her face that he wants to divorce her was taken from Preston Sturgis's own life. And apparently he made the same demand of his second wife, Eleanor Hutton, who's wealthy family thought that he had only married her for her money. 
Oh. Yeah. Apparently. I also read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, the idea for the movie was based on the fact that he ran into one of his ex-wives at one point and didn't recognize her. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the whole premise for this movie that you could see the exact same person and not believe that it was them seemed very thin to me. (laughs) Yeah, within like very short... A very short time period, right? Because my understanding is that this happens pretty quickly, right? Yeah. So I guess maybe if that happened in his life, he was like, oh, yeah, of course this makes sense. Yeah. When Muggsy places a brush over his face and imitates Hitler, uh-huh. he's actually speaking Swedish. <laughs> and <laughs> what he says is, naughty boy, I'm coming to punch you in the face. That's hilarious. <laughs> Henry Fonda appeared with Barbara Stanwyck in this movie, The Mad Miss Manton and You Belong to Me, and he always referred to her as his favorite leading lady. Aw. Yeah, which I thought. I'm, but, like, the thing is, she's just so excellent. Like, I, I mm-hmm. actually think, so now I've seen her, I had gone from, like, not seeing her much to within the past couple of months seeing, like, a bunch of her movies, and I honestly think she just makes all mm-hmm. the men she plays opposite look bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the writing or not, but, like, she's so good that yeah. they just pale, pale in comparison mm-hmm. and it feels very uneven. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel that way, too. So, well, I'm glad it wasn't just me. Um And in 1994, The Lady Eve was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Um, and this is on, like, a ton of lists of, like, best movies, movies you have to see before you die, blah, blah, blah. Which we sure. can talk more about <laughs> whether or not that we agree with that. Um, but that's my trivia. And then who did you bio? Um, I bioed Henry Fonda because I believe this is the first Henry Fonda movie that we have seen for the podcast. Yes. Okay, so Henry Janes Fonda was born in Grand Island, Nebraska on May 16th, 1905, which is uh, basically 116 years before we recorded this episode. Happy happy birthday, Henry Fonda. Um, He was the son of printer William Brace Fonda and his wife, Herberta Janes. The family soon moved to Omaha, Nebraska. So go Cornhuskers. (laughs) He was brought up as a Christian scientist in a very close-knit family. Um, He worked part-time in his father's print plant and wanted to be a journalist when he grew up. When he was about 14, his father apparently took him to observe um, a brutal lynching um, during the Omaha race riots of 1919. And uh, it was one of the things that uh, enraged him and sort of formed him from a beginning a young age um, to be sort of progressive and liberal. He attended the University of Minnesota where he majored in journalism, but he didn't graduate. Uh, At the age of 20, he started acting at the Omaha Community Playhouse where his mother's friend Dodie Brando, who's the mother of Marlon Brando, recommended that he try out for a juvenile part in the play You and I. He received the lead in another production, soon after that and realized that he really liked acting and one of the things that he really liked about it was that it um, sort of deflected attention from his own current kind of shy tongue-tied personality um, and he could rely on somebody else's scripted words instead of his own. Based on this new like passion he quit his job and decided to go east in 1928 um, and he arrived in Cape Cod and played um, a minor role at the Cape Playhouse in Dennis, Massachusetts. Then he went to Falmouth, Massachusetts. 
spent some time with the theater group there and had, uh, you know, his first encounter with Jimmy Stewart. He went to New York City to be with his then wife, Margaret Sullivan, who we've previously seen in this podcast. Um, yeah. And then his friend Jimmy Stewart came to New York. They became roommates and, you know, worked on Broadway together um, and various things. And then, um, you know, and he worked pretty um, consistently from 1926 to, yeah, 1926 to 1934. He got his first break in films when he was hired in 1935 as Janet Gaynor's leading man in 20th Century Fox's screen adaptation of The Farmer Takes a Wife production that he had been in on Broadway that was sort of an ongoing theme uh, throughout his career that he would be in a the theater production of it and then when it was filmed when there was a film production of it he played the same role on, on screen uh, that happened multiple times and um, this particular production got him a lot of recognition he uh, was soon joined in Hollywood by Jimmy Stewart and they roomed together and again uh, next door to Greta Garbo uh, fun fact. He uh, sort of continued to work cons- cons- uh, consistently. This is He worked a lot um, over the next um, several decades, and he starred opposite Betty Davis uh, in the film Jezebel in 1938, followed by Young Mr. Lincoln in 1939. One of, this is one of several films that he made in 1939. Once again, very prolific. He was recruited by uh, John Ford to play Tom Joad in the film version of um, The Grapes of Wrath. A reluctant Daryl Zanuck, in order to like cast him, insisted on signing Fonda to a um, seven-year contract with 20th Century Fox, which was something ultimately that Fonda decided when that contract was over, he never really wanted to do that again. Uh, he took a break from acting to serve in the U.S. Navy to fight during World War II, and then... After being discharged from active duty, he was in the Naval Reserve um, until 1948. His contract with 20th Century Fox uh, expired, and then he made a couple of movies with uh, John Ford's new production company, Argosy Pictures. Um, he worked several times with John Ford, though at the end of their like collaboration together, they didn't get along very well. Apparently there was a fist fight involved. I'm not... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So he returned to Broadway for the production of Mr. Rod- Roberts, which I said Mr. Rogers, Mr. Roberts, <laughs> uh, which was a comedy about the U.S. Navy. Like I mentioned before, he reprised that role in um, in the film version in 1947. He, excuse me, 1957, he made his first foray into producing with 12 Angry Men, which he also starred in. He did a number of Western movies after that, and then uh, produced a Western television series called The Deputy, um, which he also um, starred in. In the 1960s and 70s, he you know continued working on stage and screen and television, and returned to Broadway in 1974 for the drama Clarence Darrow, for which he was nominated for a Tony Award. He had had failing health for a number of years, but his first, um, like, sort of outward symptoms that were, um, people, other people noticed occurred during a performance of that play, um, in April 1974 when he collapsed. He had cardiac arrhythmia brought on by prostate cancer, um, had a pacemaker installed, um, and then ultimately went back to performing in this production in the next couple of years. His doctors told him he should stop, (laughs) 
uh, appearing in plays. Um, so he just stuck to films and televisions. Like in the later part of his career, he got a lot of accolades for just like the breadth of his performance and performances and you know all of his contributions to film and television and, and theater. In 1981, he appeared in one of his last um, productions on Golden Pond with um, Catherine mm-hmm. Hepburn. Um, oh. Yeah. Was... So I guess that's the only other movie I've seen. <laughs> well, and, much later on. Yeah, much later on. And that, um, you know, well received by sort of universally, his final performance was in the television drama Summer Solstice with Myrna Loy, which I have not seen and would like to. In his personal life, he was married five times and had three children, um, including um, Jane Fonda and Peter Fonda. He uh, was an ardent supporter of the Democratic Party and admirer of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, He also helped campaign for John F. Kennedy. And apparently this was the one sticking point between him and Jimmy Stewart because Jimmy Stewart was way more conservative. Don't say it, Hill. I know. I yeah. So they agreed that they they would be friends, but they could never ever talk about politics. He died at his L.A. home on August twelfth, nineteen eighty two, from heart disease. I feel bad because I'm gonna say bad things about him, <laughs> and he seems like a good person. <laughs> That's what this podcast is for. Also, he's dead. So yes. Also yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the trivia pieces that I did not include was that he brought Jane Fonda to the set of this movie and they celebrated her fourth birthday there. Aww. Yeah. Which is great. He has a very memorable face. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it attractive. (laughs) But memorable. It kind of looks better on Jane Fonda than it does on him. I agree. (laughs) So... Let's talk about it because um, it happened that I also watched another Barbara Stanwyck movie with a very similar plot to this. Oh, yeah. I saw that you tweeted about um, Balls of Fire, right? Yeah, Ball of Fire, um, which it seemed like something relevant to the podcast because we've been talking a lot about slang and that entire movie was about slang. (laughs) But it's a very similar premise in that, you know, she's... Like, this beautiful, like, savvy woman who's kind of on the wrong side of the law. And then she, the guy who she likes is sort of an intellectual with, mm-hmm. like, no social skills. Yes. <laughs> and it's also one of those casts that has a ton of, like, great supporting actors like this movie. And they were made the same year. So I'm kind of like, you know, I said we are going to do a lot of Barbara Stanwyck and... <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. So, well, what did you think of it? What did you think? Uh, and you hadn't seen this before, right? Right. Maybe. I hadn't seen it before. And I, you know, sort of like you had not seen very many Barbara Stanwyck movies. I I mean, my general, it sounds like we're basically on the same page about this movie. Where, although, like, I feel sort of positively inclined toward this movie. But, like, I don't really understand that there is a plot to this movie. But I mostly am like, well, I, you know, Barbara Stanwyck being, you know, charming and Henry Fonda being Nebraskan, you know, they're on a boat and then there's like all these like gags about um, Henry Fonda's character tripping (laughs) was, you know, I have a three week old baby. So this is like the, the speed I I can do right now. I no sleep. Um, But there are definitely some moments where I was like, do I not understand what the plot is? 
because I haven't had any sleepers. They're just really like a very thin plaid here. Um, so <laughs> it it really is. <laughs> it, it does not stand up to scrutiny. And I even like rewatched some parts to be like, did I miss something? Like what? <laughs> but no, I didn't. Um, uh, I agree with you about it. It so was Hopsy Nebraskan or was he just constipated? Because most of my notes were like, what is like, he just looks uncomfortable and like a wax figure most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think like I read it as like, he's supposed to be this like nerdy, uh, academic, you know, heir to this ale fortune. He's not interested in ale. He's interested in snakes and because he's an the heir, you know, women are falling all over him, and he doesn't really care about any of the women. He cares about snakes. I, I didn't read it as constipation. I, <laughs> I read it more as, like, socially awkward. And, you know, and that he's, like, also, like, so rich that, like, he doesn't have to be, like, he doesn't have to play the game that anyone else is playing. He can, like, he can afford literally and figuratively to be, like, you know, head in the clouds or whatever. Yeah, he just looked like he wanted to run away most of the yes. time. Yeah. So I guess the most unbelievable part, which is saying a lot considering one of the characters plays two different people that people, you know, we're supposed to believe people think that she's unrecognizable. Yes. But the most unbelievable part to me was their actual connection because they they meet and it's, like, it made sense to me when she was just conning him. Yeah. But then when she was like, oh, I'm in love with him, I was like, why? Why? You're this ca- charismatic, clever, stylish, like, charming person. And he really doesn't have anything going on that seems to appeal to you, except that he's rich. Yeah. Well, and my question wasn't so much why, it was how. Because they, like, were on a boat for, like, you know, I don't know how many days. She's conning him, and then suddenly she's like, oh, I'm in love with him. Like, but you were just conning him. Like, how did you go from conning him to being in love with him? How? (laughs) Yeah, and it seemed like a very short span of time. And the same kind of on his end. It seemed like they basically knew each other two days, and then he was proposing. Yeah. And it seemed like before that, he basically had no... He seemed very inexperienced. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like this. There, there have been a number of movies in the podcast that we've we've watched that that are about you know whirlwind romances on boats, like an affair to yeah. remember. Now Voyager. Now Voyager. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but in both of those, they, the connections were more believable, and the time span seemed longer. Well, no one was trying to con, like literally con the other person. So yeah, that's true. No one had to so have a change I, of heart. <laughs> I, I mean, that was the hardest part for me to believe. I was like, I don't... I, I guess I believed it a little bit more on his end that maybe it was possible that he just wasn't around women much and wasn't comfortable and because she was so, like, charming and everything, she made him feel comfortable and then he liked her. But then that she would like him enough to do this whole ruse to get him back seemed implausible to me. And, like, halfway through the movie, when he dumps her... And she's mad about it. I didn't get... It didn't feel like, oh, I'm so hurt because 
he broke my heart. It seemed like I'm pissed. You better cash that check and I'm going after him. So it's like humiliate him. But then when she actually gets there, it she's it's like a turnaround like, no, I'm still in love with you. Yeah, it was like back and forth. Like I want to I'm I want to get revenge. Which I was like, why do you need to get revenge on a guy who like is upset because you lied to him? Con, like you tried to con him. Yes, he had the natural reaction to you lying about who you were entirely. <laughs> yeah, so like at least have the decency to like recognize that that was a that his response is the natural response. <laughs> I also it was funny that she thought like oh I'll just tell him when we get off the boat and then she thought that the engagement would just proceed as usual like he'd just be like oh okay <laughs> I only knew you for two days before we got engaged and you told me you were a different person, but it's still cool, and yeah. we're gonna get married. I mean, I could kind of believe that, like, and I kind of appreciated that her father, like, supported her in this, like, you know, in, in sort of coming clean before the wedding. If if you're gonna come clean, like, like good for you, and, you know, you know, great that you're, you're in a relationship or whatever that you feel like might support that or whatever, but, like, so in order for her to, like, marry him she was like I appreciated that she was like I'm gonna tell him the truth but then she couldn't tell him the truth because the, the purser on the boat you know had photos you know and shared those photos you know to say like oh there are known card sharks on the on the boat that we're keeping track of yeah that seemed like she kind of overestimated her power Yes, totally. A little bit. Yeah. Which is saying a lot because she had, she was powerful. I mean, like, one of the things I read about this movie that made it interesting was that it was sort of flipped the gender dynamics and yeah. that she was kind of, like, the powerful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one who had the agency in the movie and he was just sort of along for the ride and being pursued. Yeah, that's a really good point. Which actually, yeah, I didn't really think about that when I was watching it, but I was like, oh, that makes me like it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she definitely is, like, the one doing the pursuing. So did you feel like I did that her performances stood out so much that it was like he just seemed like a dud? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't in this movie, I, could, I don't know if it was, like, the characters or their performances i mean he he sure seemed like a dud but it seemed like maybe that was the point of his character was to be kind of like frumpy and constipated um (laughs) she just has such a great confidence and the way of speaking that she i mean she's just a star Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to yeah and i also read that like she had a reputation for people really just loving to work with her that she was great on set and she worked really hard yeah i remember that from christmas in connecticut that she had that work ethic so i like that i kind of want to watch one of her more serious Mm -hmm. movies now because i've just watched a bunch of her comedies yeah well and there are a couple of i think westerns that she did that are on my like list of things to watch on maternity leave (laughs) But you never know, Hill, with the Western. Are there Quakers in it? (laughs) I'll have to pre-screen these. (laughs) I mean, one of my other criticisms of Henry Fonda is that I think he was supposed to be funny, like when he was doing the slapsticky stuff and like oh, kept yeah. falling down mm-hmm. and everything. But I did not find it funny, and you know that I like slapstick. <laughs> I was just—it was just like not 
landing for me. Well, I mean, after, like, the seventh time of him, like, running into something or having something dumped on him or whatever, it was like, okay, like, that was, that's too many times. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that also interested me, and I don't know if this almost might fall into the social justice-y category, is, like, you know, in the earlier part of the movie, we just sort of know that he's rich. Mm-hmm. And I assume that he was, like, a classy person. But then when you actually meet his family, mm-hmm. and, like, they are wealthy, but his dad is not classy at all. And you get more of that, like, nouveau riche, mm-hmm. you know, like, self-made man kind of vibe mm-hmm. um, from the family. And I was like, knowing this about his family made me understand their match slightly better than if he had been like a blue blood of some sort. Yeah. Well, I appreciated like his father in particular seemed very much like self-made and like down to earth in a way. Like he really, like he had a connection with Gene and, um, you know, and they, you know, as they were like figuring out the, the the divorce, I guess, you know, he was the one who was, you know, kind of, like, on her side, you know, she was Eve at that point, to, you know, to, like, make sure that she got what she wanted, and that she was happy, and, you know, even though that didn't really work out in, in the way that he thought it was going to, I guess, but, you know, I appreciated that he was kind of, he wasn't, like, too cool for school, he was like, you know, I like this person, and she's a good match for my son. yeah. That's true. Although, I, what did you think of the scene where he was just trying to get, like, a servant to come <laughs> serve him and he was just, like, banging all the pots and pans? <laughs> that was ridiculous in a, like, hilarious way. But, um... <laughs> but I also was like, seriously, how many servants do you have in this house and not one, uh, not one of these servants can, like, step away from, like, prepping for this, me- this like, party or whatever to, like, serve this guy breakfast? Not that I'm... I don't, well, I, I don't also, personally have any servants, so what do I know? But. <laughs> I was like, you know, rather than bag all the dishes, why don't you just, like, go talk to somebody <laughs> instead of, like, just sitting there at the table bagging all things? Well. Like, go down to the kitchen. <laughs> he's a rich white dude. Why would he do that, Emily? <laughs> so, I told you that the Why Are Snakes Necessary made me laugh, and the only other part of the movie that really made me laugh was when, in, when she, they sort of have their first interaction and she just like drops something and bonks him on the head when he's going on the the ship. I thought that was really funny and that her general approach to meeting him was less less like try to be appealing or like ingratiate yourself but it was more just like it was almost it wasn't quite negging but like it was putting him at a disadvantage. Yeah. (laughs) Because you know, and just like forcing that interaction. Yeah, before their interact, before they actually meet, she like does this whole thing where she's like looking in the mirror, and like criticizing all these other like women and their like attempts to like get his attention. And she, you know, she sort of does this like, oh, this woman and this woman and this woman, and then she and then she, you know, bonks him, and um, and is like, this is how it's done, ladies, like. <laughs> Just get violent and then you'll get what you want. So what did you think of the scene in, I guess it was in her cabin where they're sort of like laying there together and she is rubbing his head and he looks like he's about to orgasm. And it's like... It, yeah. It, 
Like, what did you think that was uh, funny, well played? I mean, I was surprised that it was in a this movie. I was like, this is like this is uh, this is a lot, you know. And especially because she's wearing that. I think that's the scene where she's she's wearing a, the dress that is like well, it's like a skirt and a top, and there's like very skin showing, and yeah. um, you know, it was like simultaneously very sexy and like whoa boy, like <laughs> yeah, like and, yeah, and he like pulls down her skirt, yes. And she says, thank you. (laughs) She just, uh, yeah, I love all those little sort of throwaway lines she has Mm -hmm. and the way she delivers them. And then she says, I think I can sleep now. And he says, does he say like, well, that makes one of us? Yeah, something like that. Like, I won't be sleeping. Yeah, I was like, how is this? I know you could because it's this was like pretty steamy and this was after they had the rewrite (laughs) yeah when you said that they rewrote it I was like what did they take out (laughs) (laughs) yeah and some of the stuff about the snake too felt like when he was like you need to come meet Emma and she was like well that's the first time I've heard that line (laughs) I forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I forgot about that (laughs) Well, and then he was like, I thought you understood that it, Emma was a snake. And I was like, how would anyone assume that, like, meeting Emma was a snake? I know. That was the other thing that made me think they could never actually be together is that he studied snakes as his occupation and she was deathly afraid of snakes. And, like, that's a pretty strong incompatibility there. Well, so I thought you were going to say, that, uh, like, an in- the incompatibility was that, like... She, he studied snakes, but had zero interpersonal skills to the point that, like, or, uh, like, zero, like, awareness of the world around him in terms of people to the point that, like, at the end where, when, you know, they get back together again on the boat again, she assumes that he realizes, you know, that, that Jean and Eve are the same person. It's the same, that it's been the same name. And he (laughs) says something where, like, it is clear that, like, he still hasn't gotten it yet. Jean, do you want to be with someone who's that slow on the uptake, yeah. who literally cannot just recognize your face? Right, cannot, yeah, in a different context, cannot recognize your face. <laughs> Is, isn't there some sort of condition where people can't recognize faces mm-hmm. in different contexts? Yeah, I, I, I believe, I don't know if it, like, the context thing, that you just, like, can't see faces, but... I don't know what that. Maybe if they had mentioned that he had that problem, this would have would have made a little bit more sense. Yeah. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Should we talk about social justice? If there is anything to say. Yeah, I mean, is there anything to say about? I mean, I guess they do. Like some of the main characters are criminals. If you, I, it was not shown in like a negative light that they were mm-hmm. um I, I kind of wondered what their actual setup was because i assume it was expensive to travel on those boats and then you know she had fabulous clothes and i was like they so like you have to have money to do this con <laughs> to begin yeah. with like, yeah so how often are they are like are they on these like transatlantic boats doing these things i mean then they would have to be like be active enough doing them to be like for them to be like known card sharks that the 
you know, the purser would be, you know, be able to track them or whatever. I thought that, like, the flip side of that was that I thought, you know, it was nice, and this isn't really necessarily social justice, but I, like, appreciated that, like, when push came to shove, you know, when and she was like, yeah, I don't want to con him, I want to, like, come clean, her dad, you know, her co-conspirator or whatever was like, you know, you got to think about how this, like, will affect me and, you know, the other guy in this con, but, like, ultimately, like, I support you in this, so I thought that was a sort of a nice a nice thing but I thought it was funny like when they met up with you know the other guy at the horse races and they were sort of like reintroducing them themselves to each other or whatever they had to like say like oh right now I'm using this alias in in this kind like here's my backstory or whatever it reminded me of the music man where uh Harold Hill runs into Marcellus Washburn and Marcellus Washburn is like Gregory and Harold Hill is like Hill's the name this trip. <laughs> We're using a different name. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think I've seen a lot of movies where, you know, it's usually a woman is trying to get out of the con and then the other people in the con are like, you can't leave this business and I'm going to make you stay. Yeah. Um, and this was not that. So that's a good point that they actually did support her. Because I was thinking it would have been a lot harder for her dad to do the cop. Like, she was kind of like the honey trap. Yeah, she was totally the honey trap that was like... But it, they had, uh, they seemed like they had enough, like, I don't know, uh, tools in their tool toolkit that, like, he would just figure out a different kind to do. Oh, one other thing. This is not social justice. But one thing I liked about this movie was that in the scenes where he's trying to cheat Hopsy at cards, uh-huh. I liked that they sort of gave the audience the benefit of the doubt that like you could understand what the hands meant oh uh uh-huh yeah because i hate in movies where they like over explain cards Mm -hmm. like if the in casino royale or like where there's something like there's a big card game and they just like assume like everyone who's watching knows nothing about cards so we're gonna have someone like talk an entire exposition of this whole thing yeah (laughs) how it works and it just it takes away all of the dramatic tension. And then I thought they did it really well in that scene. And even if you didn't know that much about it, you still would like get what was going on. So that that was one thing I liked. The other thing I liked too is that like this was clearly their thing. It was also part of the language that they used with each other where, you know, when they were talking about still conning uh, him, her father at some point says like, you're holding a royal flush. They didn't, they used sort of the language of, of cards to be like, you know, this is, you have the best hand. You like, Yeah. But they didn't say, you have the best hand. They said, you have a royal flush. And like, you had to know that a royal flush is the best hand. Yeah. Um, I thought it was hilarious when, just as another sign of his like social awkwardness, he just met them and he's doing like close up magic tricks as a way to impress them. I know. <laughs> Because, like, people love when you do close-up magic. Classic. It's pretty safe to say no real social justice message. Yeah, I mean, there was the very, at the very beginning of the movie when, uh, excuse me, Hopsy is still, um, in South America, when he's leaving South, you know, the, wherever it is that they're studying snakes or whatever. Firstly, we don't, I don't think we know where they are. Um, and there's, like, you know, the natives that they are leaving um and you know the native woman who has like apparently been consorting with his bodyguard or whatever um there are those like brief things at the beginning that i was like "Mm, it's this 
this is a uh, this is an interesting depiction of um of uh, non-Western Native experiences, but yeah, I think I noticed it was. I mean, they didn't spend a lot of time there in that scene, but that Hopsy called the indigenous people their boys. Like, mm-hmm. he, like he didn't say men. He was like, take care of the boys or like something like yeah. that in the beginning. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, that, I also read that that scene was filmed like somewhere in California. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, they don't really like engage with that very much. Yeah. Um, I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. What do you think about Bechtel? Were there other women for Jean to interact with? I guess just Hopsy's mom, right? Do they actually talk? I don't know. All? I don't think they actually talk to each okay. other. Well, then it does. No. No. <laughs> it, this movie does not pass the Bechtel test. There's no other women in it, basically. No. Who are developed. Nope. I mean, I think even Hopsy's mom, like, has very few lines that she says to anybody. Yeah, that's true. So, it does not pass. No. Yeah, this is... The the other one that I watched, too, was the same. There were, like, no other women in the movie, basically, except, like, a maid. Yeah. Vehicles for white men. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're like, look, Barbara Stanwyck takes up a lot of space. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> she counts. She's worth multiple women, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what rating would you give this one? <laughs> I have a feeling whatever I give it, it's going to be way higher than whatever you give it. Um, I think that's probably true. <laughs> I mean, I, I would give it a 3.5 because I think that, like... Whoa. It, I know, it's going to be way higher. And also, I'm more forgiving than you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Barbara Stanwyck, for the most part. And yeah. uh, also, uh, you know, I, I whatever this, like, boat thing is, you know, that within a fair to remember and, you know, now Voyager and whatever, like, I it is kind of a silly... Thing, but I kind of I I realized with this movie that I kind of appreciate it that like you know this like romance while on vacation on a boat, sure. Yeah, I mean it did make me think. I wish cruise ships still were this nice and yeah. people dressed for dinner in like sequin crop top, yeah, evening gown ensembles. Yeah, I mean there was that, <laughs> yeah. and I did think Barbara Stanwyck was really good in it. What, what rating I, are you giving it? <laughs> ne- I'm gonna negative? Give it, no, I'm giving it a 2.5, uh-huh. which is pretty low, but it's basically just that it made no sense. I did not like the Hopsy character. I did not like Henry Fonda in the role. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would rewatch it. Like, there were certain scenes that... I liked I like I might look at a certain scene again, but like the whole thing, mm, yeah. It it's not a satisfying movie. You're in the end, you're like, what? And then it's just <laughs> <laughs> the costumes were great, though. I um, so it did have redeeming things, but I was kind of like, really, this is gonna be on all your top lists. Mm-hmm. I just it it. I think I care too much that the writing makes some sense to <laughs> be okay with this. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like, the plot leaves lots of things to be desired. Yes. So, what's our next movie, Hill? Um, Our next movie is 
parent trap. <gasps> totally different, but full full on summer. Yes, it's what is it? Hot back summer. Mm-hmm. This is our hot back summer pick. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow the Screen Sirens on Twitter at the Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.